a cemetery, pigs, and mercy. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. Thank you for joining us today in our podcast, where we will be talking about Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. There are so many things happening in this set of verses. I thought we'd start with glitter today. I want to talk about something I would do with children in my Bible class to set the scene for this story. We'd draw some circles on a piece of paper, and then I'd have the children fill those circles with happy faces and sad faces. And as we're doing that, I would want the conversation to be around the fact that God wants our lives to be full and good, but Satan wants us to be unhappy. He wants everything to be bad in our lives. He wants to hurt us. He wants us to hurt others. There's this battle going on between God and Satan. So I would gently bring that conversation into the fore before we delve into these verses. That's a good way to to begin. We should be reminded that there is a world, an unseen world. There are two kinds of power power of evil, and there's the power of God. And that is brought out in this story. And we need to be aware that many of us probably don't think about it much, but there is an unseen world where there is the power of evil that manifests itself in various ways. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, in talking about the armor of God and wearing the armor of God or putting it on, it is to protect us and help us deal with this evil power. And he says that our fight is not against people on earth. This is chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 12. We're fighting against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness. And that's a real thing. And we're going to be talking about this today. One of the main ideas in the story is that the story is focused on power, the power of Jesus his authority, his identity, even though there is evil power in this world, Jesus is more powerful. Right. Let's start with the outline this time, because we'll be delving into some of these subjects. But So we have in the first opening verses, this is again Mark chapter 5, so verses 1 through 5, just the scene of this nighttime a cemetery, tombs. There's this man who's acting like an animal living there in the tombs. He's demon-possessed. And then in verses 6 through 13, in the midst of all this darkness, Jesus steps in, and Jesus actually speaks to the demons that are in this man. Jesus doesn't just see what's on the outside. He knows exactly what's happening in even the spiritual world and what's happening right now. In that encounter, Jesus ends up neutralizing those demons so they have no more power. And then in the next verses, verses 14 through 17, you're introduced to the townspeople. These are the people that have put this man out alone to live in the cemetery. They don't know what to do with him. So now that there's a new power in town, 
that has neutralized these demons, they don't know what to do with him. They are very afraid of this new power of Jesus. So they ask him to leave. And in the last verses, verses 18 through 20, it's sort of a commission because this man wants to go with Jesus and leave this place. But Jesus says to stay and tell others what has happened, tell what God has done. So that's the outline. That's a very good outline. Mary, as you said, there is a lot going on in this story, and we're going to touch on most of these things. And I think it's important for us to get the setting. There's different kinds of setting here. If you recall in Mark chapter 4, the end of that chapter, we have the stilling of the storm. The disciples are fearful. It's at night. Jesus calms the storm. They land on the other side of the lake here. And that's where we begin here in chapter 5. But it's night, and they've just experienced this storm, which they feared for their lives. And so they land on the other side, and it happens to be the cemetery. And this is at night. And as soon as they land, the story suggests that they're confronted by this man that is demon-possessed. And so this whole scene is one of fear, of generating fear. It's scary. I mean, I definitely would be scared if I was there with them. And, of course, the disciples are just seeing this man, this wild man running towards them. But Jesus sees more. It's that unseen world. Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He does. And the other setting that I think we need to notice here is the place. This is on the other side of the lake in the area of the Ten Towns, or Decapolis, which suggests this is Gentile territory. These are Gentiles. And that's why these people are herding pigs. Pigs are unclean. Gentiles are unclean. The cemetery is an unclean place. Demons or evil spirits are unclean. Everything here is being painted with uncleanness. And uncleanness suggests being alienated from God, not being able to be in the presence of God or the presence of God's people. The place needed cleaning up. The man runs to Jesus. The demons living inside of this man recognize Jesus. They recognize his power. And the man bows before Jesus. And Jesus actually speaks to these demons. And only Jesus has power. You know, for all this time, these demons had possessed this man, had had power over him. They had made him act as an animal, really. They'd ruined his life. He cut himself. He screamed. He yelled. The people didn't know what to do with him. They tried chaining him. That didn't work. <laughs> what a horrible life. And they just cast him out, basically. They didn't want him in their city. He lived out among the tombs. This is a horrible, pathetic life that this man is living. And that's what it's like when Satan has control over a person. Very much so. You said it very well. He was confrontational. He was extremely powerful. And he had animal-like behavior. He was untamed and untamable like a wild beast. And that's how he was acting. He was under Satan's control. There was no question of a battle here. You know, we have other things that we've studied where there's a battle between Jesus and Satan. But really... The demons know that there's no hope. They know that Jesus is the Son of God, that He 
is in charge. He has total power over them. They've done their pitiful work on this man and controlled him for so long. But now, before the Son of God, they know there is no hope for them. Please don't cast us out. They probably looked around like, who else can we possess? Who else can we live inside of? And and here it was just the disciples and Jesus, and they were out in the tombs. So who's left? There are only other animals around. Yeah, pigs, and that's where they belong. You know, you mentioned that they confessed Jesus as the Son of God. And if you recall, at the end of the story of the stilling of the storm, at the end of Mark chapter 4, after Jesus calmed the storm, rescued his disciples from drowning, their question was, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then the story ends. The question is not answered. And then we come to the story in chapter 5. But this demon-possessed man, when he is confronted by Jesus and bows before Jesus, confesses Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He answers the question about who this person is. So we're forced to think about who is Jesus. So he answers that question. That's how it is in the unseen world. Because the demons, Satan, God, Jesus, they all know who has the power. They know that God is more powerful. Everything that Satan does is really a pathetic attempt for power because in the end, we know who has control. That's right. We mentioned at the very beginning that there's evil power in this world. Many of us don't think about it every day. We have this false belief that we're in control of our world even though we're reminded so often that we're not. But the ancient people were very much aware of this world, and they actually lived in fear. People who were believers in God and followers of God may not be so much, but the average person just lived in fear because they believed that there was this world and these spirits all about that wanted to do them harm in some way. And they were powerless, and they were vulnerable. While we might think if we want to get away and be on our own, and have some peace and solitude, we will go walking out into the forest. And in that setting, we would find peace and solitude being away. But the ancient people wouldn't do that, because the forest is where many of these evil spirits lurked, and were just waiting to harm you in some way. So people wouldn't travel alone, and they definitely wouldn't travel at night. If they traveled through the forest, they would go with someone, or they would have some magic on them, like an amulet with a verse, a spell that would protect them. I mean, the world was filled with, with magic and magic spells and amulets, and people used these things in the belief that it would protect them from all these spirits that lurked about, that sought to do them harm. They live in a world of fear. And people hearing this gospel back in Jesus' day when you know, it was being read and they were hearing it read, They were very much aware of this world. And so this story is telling them and us, even though there is evil in this world, God is more powerful. Not that just God is more powerful. He will rescue. He will protect his people. We might look at that and say how unsophisticated to think that way. And we think it's possibly more sophisticated to act almost as if there isn't another world that we are in control, like you said, and maybe not even talk about those things. And really, that's just as bad. Somewhere between that overemphasis, too much fear, between that and then a 
non-belief in the other world, thinking that it doesn't exist. Between those two is the truth that there are two parallel worlds, that there is a world that we see and know, and then there's the world that's unseen, that only God, Jesus, the spiritual beings see. And those are both true. When I teach children, David, I want them to know that. And there's that balance as a teacher that I want to be very careful about. I want them to know that these evil powers exist, that Jesus is stronger than those powers. I don't want them to live in fear. I want them to know and be confident that Jesus is with them and will always win over anything. But I don't want to just dismiss it like it's not real. That's a really important thing as a teacher. Thank you. That's right. So in this story, it's so unusual. We have this scary scene in this dark place, and here are these demons, and they're speaking to Jesus. Jesus is speaking to them, and they are scared of him. They know that he can wipe them out, and they're trying to think, well, what can we do? What can we do? And, and they look around, and they must have seen those pigs in this area and said, can we just go and live in them? It's because Jesus was casting these demons out of this man. There was a common belief, it seemed to be a common belief, that demons needed to have a host. So that's their preference. And so they just didn't want to be cast out of this man and be hostless. So the pigs were the nearest thing. And, of course, that's appropriate because they're unclean, the pigs are unclean. And so Jesus actually concedes and says, okay, you know, they were leaving the man one way or the other. And so he sends them into the pigs. And the pigs panic and run off the cliff and into the sea, and they drown. Pigs and demons go together because they're both unclean. They both represent uncleanness, evil, chaos. They end up where they need to be. Even the sea or the lake that they jumped into, isn't that even symbolic of death or destruction? Yeah, the sea is the symbol of chaos, of evil. It's the appropriate place. I believe the point of this part of the story is that when the demons go into the pigs, pigs go into the sea, that's their end. They are rendered powerless. They're no longer able to harm anyone else. They're gone. They're history. Being cast into those pigs is just like that last meal before you're being executed, isn't it? It's, it's really nothing. It's not much of a concession because they're goners. They're goners. The story is a foreshadowing of God's ultimate victory over evil in the cross, and in the resurrection. The owners of those pigs, or the people watching those pigs, went back to the city. And so far, we haven't really talked about the people in the town, because this is all happening out in the cemetery. But now they come to see. They live in this dark place. Everything's unclean. They're even there in the cemetery. What they knew was this man that was demon-possessed. And when those people see that man healed, In his right mind, he has clothes on, he's talking like a normal person. All of those other things were scary, but the idea of someone having the power to turn all of that around, that was even scarier. Right. And so they want Jesus to leave. He doesn't really belong there, does he? This is a place of darkness and chaos. Jesus is not that. You know, that's typical of a lot of people. They want Jesus to leave. Jesus is really there to heal, to help, 
but not everybody is willing to accept it. These people illustrate that. They want Jesus to leave. That saying that we were talking about the other day, better the devil we know than the devil we don't. Right. It's like, well, we knew all that bad stuff, and, and we were kind of comfortable with that. But this whole idea of somebody that can change all of that, we're not so comfortable. Jesus does leave. And these last few verses, the man who has now got a whole new life wants to go with him. But that's not the way it's to be. No, Jesus forbids him to go with him on the boat. Jesus says, instead, what I want you to do is I want you to go back to your people, back to town, and tell them how much God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And you know what? The man obeys Jesus. He goes back to his home, and he tells them what God has done for him and how God has had mercy. And the people, it says, were amazed. So this man becomes an evangelist. It's like this is a commission, isn't it? Go and tell the apostles followed Jesus onto that boat. And this man followed Jesus away back to where he came from. David, in these verses, I'm really struck with that last part about telling, telling how God has worked within us. And I'm thinking about people that share their testimony and they share what God has done in their lives and how powerful that can be. I think this would be an example of that. I think so. That's what this man was doing, telling his testimony. And what a story he had, an amazing story. But he wouldn't have dwelled there on those things. He would focus on the power of Jesus and how he changed his life and how he had mercy on him. And that should be where our story is. We don't remain in the cemetery. We don't remain in the tombs. We don't remain in that animal life. We are changed, and that's the story to say, that Jesus had mercy on me, and Jesus changed me. That's wonderful. So, David, in an adult class, what kind of things would you do to help people understand and relate to this story? What catches my attention in the story is the scene, the setting, the fear element that in different ways it's brought out. And so I think a good way of reading this story And capturing that fear element is to read it in the dark. If you're in a a group, and of course, if the situation is right, turn the lights out, have one person, I guess with their phone with the light on, to read it, and everybody else hear the story while they're sitting in the dark. I think that could help capture the mood of the story. Oh, that's such a great idea. And another thing that I think would be good to discuss in the group is... You have the leader ask the question, and for everybody to be thinking about it, what possesses you? What are you afraid of? Because we're all afraid of something, and we're all possessed, in a sense, by, by something that just tends to pull us away from God. Talk about those things, and, and then pray about those things. You know, pray for strength, pray for guidance, pray for patience. Pray that God will put you back in your right thinking, your right mind. So prayer. Another idea that we talked about earlier was that contrast idea, where you might have a scribe at the front of the room draw a line down the middle of a whiteboard from top to bottom. And on the left side might be the things of Satan, and on the right, the things of God. And just there's so many contrasts in the story. So as you're reading through it, as you're discussing, let the scribe add things to the list. So 
I'll just say on the left, you might have on Satan's side, chaos. On the other side, clarity. Suffering pain is in the left side, the world of Satan, but healing is in the world of God. Enslavement versus freedom. Evil versus good. Dark versus light. Satan is all about people being alone. Jesus is about people being in community. The unclean scene of this whole story versus the clean and purity of Jesus. And then lastly, I had here power. On Satan's side is power used to hurt people. But on Jesus' side is power over evil. That's a good idea. Well, in the children's class, I know, again, we talked about the Satan versus Jesus, make sure they understand that. But also the idea of Jesus having mercy and helping someone who was hurting so badly. So I want children to think about that. Think about the situations they might be in. I'd probably write some words on index cards and let the children draw out the cards and answer what they would do, like situations. So maybe on one, a child who's alone and doesn't have friends. On another, maybe a girl who's fallen off the slide on the playground. Another, a boy who's lost his dog. Somebody else with a broken arm. Just different things that would make sense in a child's world, and ask them how they would show mercy. Well, that's a good idea. Well, you know, we've talked about a real serious, I guess, subject or theme today, the evil that is present in our world. There's a lot of the story that generates this discussion about the reality of evil. And I just want to sum up what we've been talking about that I think is one of the main points of the story, is that we live in a world where evil is real, and it manifests itself in many ways, in many forms, and at all levels, from our own heart, to our relationships, to communities, to even nations. But we're reminded in the story that even though there is a dark and powerful world of evil, God is more powerful. And so in the end, we should not fear. We should be sober, yes, but not fear evil. But instead, we should trust in God and put our trust in God, a God who is more powerful than evil and a God who uses his power to destroy evil and to protect and heal his people. And children can close their eyes and lay their head on their pillows at night, being secure in the strength of Jesus and that he's their friend and that he's stronger than any power in this world. And I pray that you'll take those truths into your own heart and into your classroom. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.